This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. This is 1 to 7. You can turn there in your Bibles or find it on page 948 in the Bibles in your rows. It's also printed in your bulletins. Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to a good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all that is what is owned to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that the church is meant to be the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And then Jesus goes on to say, nor do you light a lamp and put it under a basket, but instead you put it on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. In other words, Jesus is saying the church is not meant to be something that is hidden away, but rather is to be a public community engaged with the world around us, which means then we'll need some sort of game plan for how to relate to the secular world and to secular authorities in particular. In the language of St. Augustine, how is the city of God to relate to the city of man? And in the previous chapter, Romans 12, which we've been walking through these last uh, four or five weeks or so, Paul developed for us uh, four basic Christian relationships. He talked first about our relationship to God, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That is, we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. That is, offer all of yourself to God. Secondly, he talked about our relationship to ourselves, verses 3 to 8. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Thirdly, our relationship to one another, verses 9 to 16. We are one body with many parts, and then the Uh, glue that holds this community, this unity and diversity together is love. And then finally, at the end of chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, he talks about our relationship to our enemies. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And now we come to Romans 13, And Paul turns to yet another relationship that we have, our relationship to authorities in general and to the government in particular. And this teaching may challenge some of our assumptions. It may challenge some of our attitudes. It may challenge some of our practices. But let's play a little game uh, before we get started this morning. All right, this is called uh, Love It 
or hate it, okay? And so I want you to play this in your head, because this could get weird if we do it. Uh, I'm not quite brave enough to have you sort of cheer or boo uh, as we go this morning. But in your head, in your mind, in your psyche, um, when I say a word, I want you to think, do I love it, right? This is the thing that gives me all the feels. Or... Uh, is this something that I hate? This makes me want to throw up in my mouth, all right? And those are the only choices, all right, for the game. Love it or hate it. All right, so let's just do a practice, a light one to start. Uh, love it or hate it, pumpkin spice. Think about it. All right, I see some of you reflected in your countenances, which it is. All right, let's do another practice. Uh, Cincinnati chili, love it or hate it. Uh, we won't make this a referendum on your uh, citizenship here uh, in our part of the world. But now let's do it for real, all right, with regard to what we're talking about this morning. Love it or hate it? What do you think? What's your reaction when you hear the word government? Love it or hate it? City hall? Love it or hate it? I can guess on this one. Taxes? <laughs> Love it or hate it? Maybe a more controversial CDC, love it or hate it. Police, love it or hate it. School board, love it or hate it. In Romans chapter 13, Paul is giving us a blueprint for how we are to understand as our uh, relationship as Christians, how are we to relate to those authorities in the world around us? And this will be for us, I think, a challenging text, because in the climate in which we live, it's normal to assert the need for absolute obedience and submission when there is an authority that we as an individual agree with. And on the other hand, when there's an authority that we as an individual don't agree with, then we think we can treat them with all kinds of scorn and derision or ignore them altogether, as if the standard for applying Romans 13 is our level of personal agreement. But I do want you to note that Paul is writing this to the church that existed in the very shadow of the seat of the pagan Roman Empire, an authority that did not share their views and their values. And even more, about eight to ten years before Paul wrote this letter, the emperor Claudius had expelled the Jewish community from Rome in response to riots in the city. And some of Paul's readers were Jewish Christians and would no doubt have experienced the hardship being expelled from their homes, their businesses. And a few years after this letter is sent, Claudius's stepson, Nero, would launch a purge against the Christians. Nero was the one who lit Christians on fire in the Colosseum. And so it's into this climate that Paul writes what he does in Romans chapter 13. What is the proper way to relate to secular authority, even those with whom we disagree? My fear is that the church in the United States has largely aped the attitudes and the practices of the broader culture. Rather than look like Jesus, we look more like the partisan bickering we see on cable news or talk radio. But Martin Luther King Jr. said the church is meant to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. You know the difference, right? Ther therm thermometers, excuse me, they just reflect what's going on in the room around them, right? They just uh, ape or communicate what is going on in the room around them. But thermostats actually change the temperature in the room. We are called 
to change the temperature. We can be the adults in the room on this issue. We can be part of the mending rather than the rending that's going on around us. And I believe this text can help us toward that end. So let's stop and pray just for a moment to get our hearts and our minds right this morning as we look at God's word. Lord God, the the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word that we're studying right now will never pass away. And so we ask that you would cause this time this morning to be like rain, causing seeds to grow, to be like a hammer on a rock that needs breaking, to be like a flame when we're cold as ice, to be like honey when we need its sweetness. Come, Holy Spirit. No one can do this in our lives but you. Amen. All right, three headings this morning. We're going to talk about the authority of the government. That is, where does it come from? What's the source of the authority of the government? Secondly, uh, what is the purpose of the government? What is it supposed to do? And then finally, what are the responsibilities of Christian citizens? Or as John Stott puts it, what is conscientious citizenship look like. All right, so first, let's talk about the authority of the government. Verse 1, chapter 13, verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. The first thing that Paul wants us to see, and I believe is obvious in this text, is that God is the source of all authority. And here, in these first few verses of chapter 13, Paul is channeling his inner Hebrew poetry. Uh, Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme, it repeats. And of course, Paul would have been trained in reading these ancient Hebrew texts. He was a Pharisee, trained as a Pharisee. And so here, he adopts that kind of approach in terms of its repetition. Verse 1, he says, there is no authority except from God. So God is the source Later on, those that exist have been instituted by God. God is the source. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. God is the source. And then verse 4, for he that is the magistrate, the, the, the authority, is God's servant. God is the source. So again, God is the source. God is the source. God is the source. Paul is emphasizing That all authority comes from God. He's emphasizing, in fact, the sovereignty of God. So the state is not sovereign, but God is sovereign. Caesar is not the ultimate authority. God is the ultimate authority. And then every other authority that exists does so, according to Paul, because God has put them there. And this is consistent with all of the teaching of the Old Testament that Paul would know very well. Daniel 2, for example, says that God sets up kings and he knocks them down. Right? Everyone that's there is there because God allows it. And this is true, by the way, even for evil regimes. We're told in Jeremiah 27 that God uses Babylon in his plans. King Nebuchadnezzar is called the servant of God. Earlier in Romans, the Apostle Paul says of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Jesus says to Pontius Pilate, you have no authority over me that does not come from above. And all these kinds of things led the early church theologian Tertullian, lived from 155 to 240 AD from Carthage. He said, your Caesar, to the, speaking to the Roman Empire, your Caesar is more ours than yours. For our God 
put him there. Now, let me just see if I can draw out just a couple of principles from this. And I'll go through these rather quickly here, all right? Just a couple of quick things uh, to see. All right, first principle. Human authorities are never ultimate. They're always derivative. Human authorities are never ultimate. They're always derivative. Secondly, then, all human authorities are subject to the ultimate authority, to God, which means then that they cannot disobey God without consequence. They will have to give an answer. Everybody in any kind of authority will have to give an answer for how they stewarded their derived authority from God. And the third principle, then, is that no human authority should demand complete and total and blind allegiance. There's a story in Matthew chapter 22 where the Pharisees are pressing Jesus. They say to Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this is a trap. They're trying to trap Jesus here because they know if Jesus says, well, don't pay the taxes to Caesar, then they get to go and say to Rome, go get them, boys, right? This is a guy who's trying to keep you from getting what's due to you as the Roman uh, government. But then if Jesus says, on the other hand, if he says, no, pay the taxes to Caesar, they're going to go to the Jews and say, he's collaborating with our oppressors. But listen to how Jesus responds. He says, show me the coin. Whose image is on the coin? Well, Caesar, they say. Well, Jesus then says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And implicit in this response is whose image is on you? Whose image is on you? You are made in the image of God, which means God's image is on you. So give the government a little, give their due, but give to God everything, all of you. It all belongs to him. Now, we've been talking about this principle, God being the source of all authority, as a limit on governmental authority, which is right. But notice Paul's emphasis here in verse 2. It's a warning. Verse 2, he says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. In other words, the logic goes like this. If God is the fount of all authority and those who exercise authority on earth do so in delegation from God, therefore, to disobey them, these lesser authorities, is to disobey God. In other words, Paul is saying, we owe the authorities our obedience for God's sake. Now, first let me say, this cannot be absolute. Paul knows here that there are exceptions. And so if there's ever a conflict between what God commands, what human authorities assert, then we have to say what Peter says in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. But here's how John Stott puts the way that we are to think about this and work this out. And, and I think this is exactly right. He says, we are to obey right up to the point where obedience to the state would entail disobedience to God. But if the state commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands, then our plain Christian duty is to resist, not submit, to disobey the state in order to obey God. And there are notable examples of this kind of disobedience, civil disobedience, in Scripture. When Pharaoh ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill the newborn boys, Exodus chapter 1, they refused to obey. 
When King Nebuchadnezzar issued an edict saying that all the subjects in the kingdom had to fall down and worship a golden image, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to obey. When King Darius made a decree that for 30 days no one should pray to anyone but him, Daniel refused to obey. And when the Sanhedrin banned preaching in the name of Jesus, the apostles refused to obey. Michael Cassidy was a church leader in Africa, founder of uh, African Enterprise. And uh, on October 8th, 1985, so was that 20, wait, four, wait, do my math with me here, 36 years ago this week, something like that? Did I get that right? Yeah, whatever. Uh, they don't pay me for math. Uh, You don't want me to do your taxes, I don't think. October 8th, 1985, uh, Michael Cassidy was called to a a meeting with the president of South Africa, P.W. Botha. Cassidy was really excited about this meeting. He'd been praying for a meeting like this because he was a part uh, of the movement to abolish the policy of apartheid, the racial segregation and the policies that reinforced uh, the inequalities that existed in South Africa. And so Cassidy had been praying for the opportunity to meet with and to speak with President Botha. And so he's very excited to go to this meeting. He goes to the president's office, but he said within moments of the beginning of the meeting, his hopes were dashed that this would go well because President Botha began by quoting to him from Romans chapter 13. And then he demanded that as an expression of Romans 13 that uh, Mr. Cassidy, Michael Cassidy, and and his organization must in fact support the government's policies of apartheid. And Michael Cassidy, now humbly and respectfully, said to the president,